This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 4270 for Friday the 13th of December 2024. Today's show is entitled, Playing Civilization 4 Part 4. It is part of the series Computer Strategy Games. It is hosted by Ahuka and is about 16 minutes long. It carries a clean flag. The summary is, we continue our look at the mechanics of this game, Hello, this is Ahuka welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode in our ongoing series on computer strategy games, and I'm continuing our look at Civilization IV. Um, now, what we want to talk about this time is the idea of the leaders of the various um, civilizations in the game, uh, because that's an important advance in Civ IV. Um, and, and it continues to develop as we move into Civ V and Civ VI, that we'll eventually get around to talking about. Um, each leader will have two attributes that provide bonuses to your empire. Uh, and so it makes them important in a way that, you know, when you look at the leaders in earlier versions of civilization, they were kind of interchangeable. You know, it didn't really make a whole lot of difference which one you picked. Uh, it makes it starts to make a lot of difference in Civ Four, and that will continue. Now, note that the Beyond the Sword expansion, which is what I'm talking about, because that is the most developed part of the game. That's that's when they stopped work. That's <laughs> when that came out, um, and and that added things beyond what was in the original version. So you know. That's what I'm giving here. Um, so, what you have for leaders is different categories that they can fall into. Um, one is aggressive. An aggressive leader will provide uh, free promotion to combat one for all melee and gunpowder units. And the barracks and the dry docks have half the production cost. So obviously oriented towards combat. A creative leader will add two culture per turn for each city, and libraries, coliseums, and theaters have half the production cost. So that would be a, a good one if you were going for a culture victory. Um, expansive, plus two health per city, and the granary and harbor have half the production cost, and workers are produced 25% faster. Uh, a financial leader gets one additional commerce on any space that generates at least two commerce. So if you, can, if you would normally get two, now you get three. An industrious uh, leader gets a 50% production bonus on building wonders and can build the forge at half the, the production cost. An organized leader, 50% uh, less civic upkeep cost, and factories, courthouses, and lighthouse have half the production cost. A philosophical leader, you get plus 100% great person generation. Um, and the university has half the production cost. 
a spiritual leader. No anarchy when changing civics, and the temple has half the production cost, as does the Cristo Redentor wonder. Charismatic leader, plus one happiness in each city, and 25% less experience needed for unit promotions, and plus one happiness from the monument or the broadcast tower. An imperialistic leader, double the rate of great generals appearing, plus 50% to settler production. A protective leader, archery and gunpowder units receive free drill one and city garrison one, um, and wall and castle have half the production cost. Now, these traits are assigned to specific leaders, and, and that's what matters because some of the civs have several possible leaders. For example, the Americans can have George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, or Franklin Roosevelt. And the British can have Elizabeth I, Victoria, or Winston Churchill. In addition to the traits and attributes peculiar to each leader, each of the civs has starting technologies that they begin the game already knowing. For instance, a number of civs start the game already knowing mysticism. And mysticism is the only prerequisite for researching meditation. And the first person to research meditation be discovers Buddhism. So one of those civs will be highly likely to get Buddhism. And if you're not one of them, your chances are very low. Remember, we, we talked about religion in the last episode. Then there are the unique units. Uh, each Civ gets a unique unit which takes the place of one of the regular units in the game and is more powerful than the unit it replaces. For example, there is an early military unit called the Axeman that all players can get. But if you are Greece, you get the Phalanx as a replacement for the Axeman, and it has an added 100% defense against chariots which are the main offensive units in the ancient era. And there is also a unique building for each Civ, which will provide some added benefits. Finally, each leader has a favorite Civic, and this is important in diplomacy. A leader will tend to be more friendly to other leaders who adopt his favorite Civic. So, with 34 Civs and 52 leaders available in the game, there's a lot to consider. Uh, an in-depth examination of each possible leader would take up a lot of space, so I will point you to a table that summarizes all of these, and it's on the Civ Fanatic site, and the link is in the show notes. Some study of this would repay your time and improve strategy. Uh, but the main thing is that there are 52 different options for starting a game, and each one can either help or hinder your strategy. If you want to pursue a particular strategy, you should pick a leader that fits. Or, if you let the random chooser pick your leader at the start, you need to carefully consider how to maximize the benefit by choosing a strategy that fits with that leader. As an example, suppose you want to conquer the world as soon as possible. Well, the first thing I would do is take an aggressive leader. Among these are Alexander, Alexander combines aggressive with philosophical. Montezuma combines aggressive with spiritual. 
Hammurabi combines aggressive with organized. Boudicca combines aggressive with charismatic. Tokugawa combines aggressive with protective. Genghis Khan combines aggressive with imperialistic. Kublai Khan, aggressive and creative. Stalin, aggressive and industrious. Ragnar, aggressive and financial. And Shaka, aggressive and expansive. So we have 10 possibilities here, and no two of them are the same. You can build a strategy around any of them, but it would not be the same strategy. Well, what about the unique unit? Alexander has the phalanx, which is a good ancient unit, but is somewhat more defensive than offensive. The Zulu's impi is another ancient era unit that is interesting. It isn't stronger than the spearman it replaces, but it has double the movement. With Stalin, you have the Russian unique unit, the Cossack, which replaced cavalry. Now, that's kind of a mid to late game unit. Um, generally, cavalry starts to show up in the second half of the game. So if you want to conquer early, Stalin might not be a really good choice. Now, when you combine the traits, some interesting possibilities emerge. No one of them is definitively superior. It's just a matter of adapting your strategy to take advantage of the possibilities. For instance, just by picking an aggressive leader, you can build barracks at half the production cost. And barracks means the units you produce start out stronger, which is good. But there is more to consider. There is a saying that amateurs talk about strategy, but professionals talk about logistics. If you want to be successful, keep that in mind. For instance, there is upkeep, and armies cost you money every turn. They cost even more each turn if they're outside of your territory, which represents the cost of keeping them supplied. The mathematics of how this is done can be complicated, but if you want to look into it, um, again, the Civ Fanatic site has a good explanation, and again, the link is in the show notes. But knowing this, and knowing that finance is really important, an interesting combination might be aggressive plus financial. And there is one leader with that combination, Ragnar. The Vikings' unique unit is the Berserker, which replaces the Mace Man. So it's probably closer to medieval and to ancient, but it comes with amphibious capabilities. On an archipelago map with lots of islands, this starts to look like a very interesting option. Another consideration is that you need to build roads to move your armies around quickly, and that requires workers. So the expansive trait here might make Shaka a good choice. And he has the MP as his unique unit, which is also very mobile. The point is that each of these leaders can fit some strategies and circumstances, but no leader fits all strategies and circumstances. And of course, we just looked at the possibilities for a conquering victory. Suppose you wanted to be more peaceful and maybe go for a culture or a science victory. Then I would start by looking at leaders with the protective trait. Right. These are Saladin, protective and spiritual. Mao Zedong, protective and expansive. Qin Shi Wang, protective and industrious. 
Churchill, protective and charismatic, Charlemagne, protective and imperialistic, Tokugawa, protective and aggressive, Wang Kong, protective financial, Sitting Bull, protective philosophical, and Gilgamesh, protective creative. So again, we have nine possible leaders and no two alike. Now, the reason you might want to go with a protective trait is so that you can protect your empire while focusing more on either culture or science. Now, just having the protective trait is not enough. You need to build up your armies to a sufficient strength that they deter aggression from other players. And you also need to continually upgrade your forces to keep up with the other players. You don't want to be defending with axemen when the others are attacking with cavalry. If you're going for a science victory, you will naturally be researching the new technologies that give you more powerful units, and that suggests maybe a combination of protective with philosophical, which Sitting Bull has, might be a good choice. But another way to look at it is to pick industrious as your second trait, because you'll want to build all of the science buildings as fast as possible. And when you have researched a new military technology like gunpowder, you can use your forge to crank out the new units. Now, culture is an interesting option that appears here for the first time. As in Civ 3, culture expands your borders and gives you more territory. And another holdover from Civ 3 is that cities can flip allegiance from one player to another when there is a large imbalance in culture. And cities get a defensive bonus as the level of culture goes up. The victory condition is to have three cities with legendary culture, which on normal game speed would be 50,000 culture. Uh, on epic or marathon, it goes up. But knowing you need to get three cities to this level means you have to be strategic about earning culture and not spread it willy-nilly over your empire. So the starting point is to pick a leader that gives you advantages, and generally that means you want to go with a creative leader. Creative leaders get added two culture per city, and that's two per turn, so it, you know, it does add up. Um, and they get production bonuses for libraries, two additional culture per turn, and theaters, three additional culture per turn. Now these leaders are Willem van Orange, Creative Financial, Hatshepsut, Creative Spiritual, Zara Jakob, Creative and Organized, Louis XIV, Creative and Industrious, Pericles, Creative and Philosophical, Suryavarman II, Creative and Expansive, Kublai Khan, Creative Aggressive, Catherine, Creative Imperialistic, and Gilgamesh, Creative Protective. Again, nine leaders, all different. Now, when you look at the culture bonuses from religious buildings, Hatshepsut looks like an attractive choice. But another very reasonable choice is philosophical because you get more great people, which is a source for a lot of culture as well. So Pericles is also a good choice if you're going for a culture victory. And wonders can be a great source of culture. So the bonus from Industrious makes Louis XIV a good choice as well. So to sum it up, you can win with any leader, but picking one that fits your goal makes it easier. Learn to modify slightly what you do for each leader, therefore. If you go with Hatshepsut, 
you need to commit to heavily investing in and promoting religion as your primary strategy. Whereas with Louis XIV, you'll be preparing to build wonders and you want to orient your strategy that way. But that isn't all we need to consider. So the next time, we're going to talk about civics. So this is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio signing off and as always encouraging you to support free software. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.